So on this kickoff Sunday, I want to share with you what has probably been uh, the single most like defining moment uh, of my life during this pandemic, at least the, the most spiritually significant. And I'd love to say that it was during a rich time of Bible reading or a, a powerful time of prayer, but I have to be honest and acknowledge that this spiritually significant moment actually took place, if you can believe it, while I was binging Netflix. That's right. Uh, my family got me into this uh, sitcom called Superstore, and uh, there are five plus one uh, seasons, six seasons in total, of basically an ensemble cast that works at a grocery store. If you're not familiar with the show, uh, think about The Office just at Walmart. And uh, on this particular episode, it was the final episode of the final season. There was a moment as the characters were kind of reminiscing and lamenting and being anxious about the fact that the store was closing. And, you know, they were kind of wondering what was going to happen to them, uh, you know, once the store closed, what was going to happen to their future. And in this particular incident, uh, there's an episode between these two characters. One is a guy named Glenn, who's one of the managers, and the other is a floor worker named Mateo. And just to give you a bit of background, Glenn is over 60 years old. He's one of the managers. Uh, he's white, married, um, and, and on top of that, he's one of the uh, evangelical Christians uh, among them. He's kind of the Ned Flanders of the, of the show. And you contrast that with Mateo, who's younger, and uh, he's Filipino, he's undocumented, he's single, he dates occasionally, uh, and he's gay. And so in this interaction, the two of them are kind of lamenting and being anxious about uh, their future as the store closes. And the, the scene begins with Glenn saying to Mateo, you know, Mateo... I'm over 60 and you're undocumented and it doesn't feel like the world wants either of us working anymore. Except Mateo turns to him and he says, yeah, except I live under constant fear of deportation and you get discounts at movie theaters. To which Glenn replies, yeah, but not the new releases. And then Glenn Mateo responds by saying, wow, it must be so hard to live under constant fear of spoiler." And I don't know if that's very significant to you, and it kind of got a few chuckles from me the first time I saw it, but after reflecting on it for a few moments, I was actually quite ravaged because I wondered to myself, what is it about Glenn that is incapable of understanding the point that Matteo is making? What is it about Glenn's uh, understanding of life, his worldview, or even his faith system as a professing Christian that doesn't seem to get it? What is it about Glenn that is incapable of living beyond himself. And I know that I'm just kind of speculating because Glenn is a fictional character, but it got me wondering, and I, I imagine that it certainly couldn't have been his understanding of the person of Jesus. Because as I think about it, you know, the person of Jesus, even to people who are outside of a faith tradition or a faith background, are generally clear on the kind of person Jesus was. If you're a faith person, you can read front to back in any of the four biographical accounts of Jesus' life, you know, what his life was about. But I feel like it was most typified by an early episode in Jesus' life recorded in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 4, it says this beginning in verse 16. It says, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. 
unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, right from the get-go, Jesus was clear about what he was about. Or more importantly, he was clear on who he was about, on who he was for. People predicted hundreds of years earlier by an Old Testament prophet, like the poor, the blind, the oppressed, the prisoner, the forgotten, the the excluded, the shunned by society, and the ignored. That was the person throughout Jesus' entire life that he was most fixated on and was most for. And when he taught about what a life of faith in him was all about, he taught the very same thing. You think about a a teaching like the Good Samaritan. What was his point? His point was that a way of life of following him, a life of faith in God, was all about using your power for the powerless or relinquishing or leveraging your privilege for those of less privilege. What Jesus lived and demonstrated and what he taught about and what he invited people into was nothing less than a life lived beyond yourself. And so coming back to Glenn, it kind of makes you wonder what was missing or what was skewing Glenn's faith construct, his faith system to make him react otherwise or relate otherwise to his friend Mateo. Made me wonder, you know, maybe Glenn was kind of nurtured in the faith system of the Old Testament, of, of the Old Testament way of rules adhering, much like the religious leaders of Jesus' day who were kind of combative with him. You look in Luke 15 too, it says there that the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. They couldn't understand the people that Jesus was for because in their faith system, things worked very differently. Their faith system was governed by rules and those rules were meant to keep certain people out and to define who was in as far as the people of God were concerned. And in that faith system, you didn't have time to consider other people. You didn't have to look for, look to other people beyond yourself. All you had to concern yourself with was yourself and whether you were in. That faith system was all about being concerned about whether you were in instead of out and it didn't have time to look beyond yourself. Or maybe... Matteo understood a life with God to be about enhancing his privilege, almost like a prosperity gospel of sorts, where there were some people in Jesus' day who approached him from that perspective. They just thought that they'd bring their life to him and he would enhance it with a bit of kind of uh, spiritual pixie dust of sorts. Uh, Among other places, we see this in Mark chapter 10 with uh, a person called the rich young ruler who came to Jesus with all of his comforts and all of his affluence and just wanted Jesus to kind of add some eternal life to his equation. Only in verse 21, it says Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and he loved him. But He said, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. 
See, Jesus wasn't about enhancing people's prosperity. Jesus was about inviting people into a life described as downward mobility. Again, time and time again, inviting people into a way of life to use their power for the powerless, to leverage or relinquish their privilege for those of less privilege. And the life that Jesus invited people into wasn't a life that was in it for people. It was a life that people were expected to live beyond themselves. And so I think about Glenn. I think about, like, what was going on? Was he just a bad guy? Because generally in the show, he was a really good-hearted, kind guy. Or was there something about his faith system that either taught him to focus on himself because he needed to make sure that he was in, or taught him to approach God for himself for what he could get out of it? Either his faith was about being an innie instead of an outie, or for what he could get out of it in a way that precluded him from living beyond himself. And at the end of the day, I guess Glenn's a fictitious character, so it really doesn't matter. The point of the reflection and what was so kind of spiritually significant for me is that it got me thinking about what God had been inviting us into as a church community here at Southridge. And it helped me see, probably with more clarity than ever before, the journey that God's had us on for the last, like, two decades. Because when I got involved in leading this church, you know, almost a quarter century ago with some of my buddies who took over the leadership of our church that we had grown up in, you know, it, it didn't always work that way. And in fact, when we started, it didn't always work that way. And we were just in the process of contemporizing our services and making them relevant, we called it, for the people who were showing up, trying to kind of bring the truth of God to the people who were there, to speak to their marriages, to speak to their parenting, to speak to their sense of significance and meaning and purpose. But all of a sudden, we were haunted by this question that asked, if your church up and disappeared, would anyone in the surrounding society even notice. And we were gripped by that, wondering whether we'd ever even really been a church up to that point, because we had nothing noticeable to show for it. And in that moment, when instead of expanding out in the country club location where we found ourselves, we decided to relocate our church to about a mile of the downtown core of the city of St. Catharines. We raised two and a half million dollars over a three-year commitment off of like a hundred or so families. That was probably the first instance in our experience of leading this church where all of a sudden we were using our privilege and leveraging it for the less privileged. We were using our power for the powerless. And from there, when we became Southridge, that journey sort of started. And one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, we'd opened up a homeless shelter in our St. Catharines location and began to experience bona fide reciprocal friendship with those who were experiencing homelessness, a friendship that we say today makes the difference. From there, instead of kind of expanding across Niagara with other sort of worship times and worship auditoriums, we instead expanded around what we called shelter equivalents that are now known today as anchor causes. Other initiatives of compassion and justice that can make a societal difference across Niagara where increasingly we were becoming for the kind of people that Jesus was for. But it didn't stop there. After becoming a multi-site church, we started to stare patriarchy in the face. And we invested a number of years into launching programs for women and girls to build confidence and develop leadership so that we could experience a reality where spiritual moms and spiritual dads were parenting this spiritual family together fully and equally. 
And then from there, we spent a number of years staring the impact that the church was having on LGBTQ plus people in the face and transitioning the way that we did ministry and some of our policy to create functional inclusion of LGBTQ plus people in our church. And time and time and time and time and time and time again, for almost two decades, you can look back and see God working slowly but surely and faithfully among us, making us increasingly for the kind of people Jesus was for as bit by bit by bit, he's growing us in a way that can live beyond ourselves. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit. And it seemed like everything went upside down when in reality, God continued to work in that direction. Even though we found ourselves locked down in a pandemic, even though all of a sudden George Floyd was killed and we were confronted with the Black Lives Matter movement and all of the media attention that that was getting. And later on, we were confronted by a number of mass graves discovered at residential indigenous schools. In every one of those situations, people from across our community found themselves kind of confused as to how we were navigating things. But when you consider the way God had been moving among us and the kind of people he's wanted us to become, people who are aspiring to follow the way of Jesus and be for the kind of people Jesus was for, living beyond ourselves, well, it should only make sense. It should only make sense that we would, you know kind of repent and mourn and grieve with our indigenous friends, that we would begin to acknowledge indigenous land and treaties in our public gatherings, that we would offer short-term groups to provide awareness and education, and those short-term groups would help spawn a good relatives team devoted to helping our church grow in these ways, a team that today is staring at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and especially their calls to action, especially the four that are specifically devoted and addressed to churches should have been no surprise that uh, after the murder of George Floyd, you know, we would recognize not only that the black lives among us and beyond us matter, but that we would actually give attention in our services to not just extending compassion, but to advocating for justice and learning how to do that better, or uh, devoting time in our, our services and our message series to fostering bona fide inclusion and experiencing greater degrees of diversity, combating racism, and that throughout our online service experiences, we would promote a greater degree of visible diversity so that it wasn't just white you know, patriarchy that was staring us in the face every day. Time and time again, we were kind of trying to default in the way of Jesus, even in the way that we navigated the pandemic. I know many people wondered why we were remaining online, even though in those episodes and those seasons where we could have otherwise reopened, where we probably wanted to reopen. But when you think about the default that God's been growing in us, it should make sense that, of course, we would remain online. Of course, before vaccines are in play, we would try to be as protective as possible to promote getting through the pandemic as safely as possible and as quickly as possible. And even though we could open, we're going to relinquish that privilege for the less privileged because that's the Jesus way he's been building and nurturing in us now for decades. I know that this pandemic season has been difficult for a number of people. They've been kind of confused, wondering why we're not reopening or why we're starting to dabble in issues that they feel are more social issues that are of more political nature, not a spiritual nature. And why we're not being clearer on the rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts and absolutes of the Bible. And why we're not investing more message time into what's here for people and their families and for kids. And in all of those kinds of ways, I've been 
I've been more than confused in knowing how to respond because when I think about, especially typified by that Superstore episode, when I, when I think about the way that God's been moving among us and the kind of people he wants us to be for, said this before, every time I, I get in one of these conversations, it feels like what is a problem to some people is a point to us as leaders. What is a problem for some people who are struggling with what Southridge is becoming is the very point of who we're seeking to become because the person of Jesus, while he was for comforting the afflicted, often did that to the affliction of the most comfortable. And so we should only expect that we would be taken out of our comfort zones to become those people who in increasing ways can learn to live beyond ourselves. Here on kickoff Sunday, I've got nothing else other than to continue casting that vision for our future. And as we begin to slowly reopen, probably more slowly than all of us had hoped, we're going to continue to pursue this way of Jesus and hopefully increasingly become for the kind of people that Jesus is for, learning in progressively increasing ways to live beyond ourselves. You got to know that even beyond Southridge, this is kind of the, 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 the shift of what's happening in churches even beyond us. I was talking to a, a denominational leader just a couple of weeks ago over breakfast, and they were saying that they believe that coming out of the pandemic, there's going to be a reformation of sorts in the church these days where churches are going to be, you know, clear along the dividing lines of either being defined by what he called bounded set or centered set. Bounded set meaning that you're mostly defined by the rules and who's in and out, or centered set, meaning you're mostly defined by pursuing the way and love and grace of Jesus and being an, as inclusive as possible. And even for churches aspiring to be driven by the centered set, churches are going to be defined by whether they approach Jesus for them to address their stresses and their struggles, or whether they're approaching Jesus for who Jesus wants them to be for, relinquishing their privilege for those of less privilege. Those are some of the seismic shifts that are taking place outside of our church and some of the ways that God continues to stir among us. And so for sure, we're excited to build momentum as we reopen and are able to cultivate in-person experiences to a greater degree. As we build momentum, we've talked about it internally in terms of addressing areas we're stuck, fanning into flame things that God's been, you know, really active in and launching new initiatives. And for sure, there are things that we're excited about. And we found ourselves stuck, for example, in our student ministry because of the inability to foster that in-person relational connection to students. And we're excited to be able to not just relaunch those experiences, but to be able to bolster that with additional resources and leadership. But we're doing that not just to provide some kind of fun activity for kids on the weekends or something for kids to do so parents have a free night out on Friday nights. We're doing that so that students, as well as parents, and in partnership with parents, can discover this countercultural way of Jesus and learn to live beyond themselves as well. We're excited to fan the flame on short-term groups. We saw God really bless and use that during the last year of the pandemic. But the kind of groups that we're offering aren't, you know, five tips to be a great parent or five tips to a happy life. We're actually staring at the face of, you know, groups that focus on spiritual deconstruction 
and reframing our theological rootedness to be able to become the kind of people that pursue the Jesus way or stare additional short-term groups in the face that look at indigenous issues and what it would look like to be even better neighbors than we've ever been before. These are the kind of short-term groups that we're going to be offering more and more so that we can further lean into the way of Jesus and be for the people that he's for. Most of all, we're excited to launch new initiatives, mostly around mobilizing every single one of us into our locations, anchor causes. I've got to say on kickoff Sunday, if you are not yet an active participant in the anchor cause of your location, you are completely missing out on what Southridge is most fundamentally about. We're not about just gathering and sitting as a congregation with our butts in seats. We're about living out this way of Jesus through friendship that makes a difference in reciprocally transformative ways that reveals his love to the world. And the way that we're going to try to mobilize that is like never before. And the way that we're trying to cultivate community around these missional initiatives is like never we've, like nothing we've done before. And we're super excited to lean into that in greater ways. But when it comes to inviting you into this way of life as a church family at the dawn of this new ministry season, gang, that's all I've got. If you're wondering, like, what's in it for me? What's for me in this church? Like, all I can offer you is the way of Jesus that increasingly lives for the kind of people Jesus is for that learns to actually live beyond ourselves. It's not about what we can get out of this. It's about who we can become in this as we foster a lifestyle of full devotion to Jesus. And so like every vision talk, I'm going to invite you into the three main commitments to gather on weekends in our large group gatherings, to join a small group where you can process and, and uh, develop the muscles of being helpmates to one another and express that faith in experiential ways through our anchor cause. Those three primary programs are the ways that we invite people to experience this lifestyle of full devotion to a greater degree. And we want you to join in on that adventure again this year. To help resource that in kind of a special way, uh, we've got uh, a really special giveaway uh, this year on this kickoff Sunday. I know that we've done this before where we've given away a free book, but we've never given away a free book that was written by one of us. And uh, you might be wondering where this thing came from. This was actually uh, uh, kind of a spiritual practice exercise that I was engaging in early on in the pandemic when we were journeying in the nine-week series called Working Out Our Faith Home Edition. While we were experimenting with spiritual practices, I experimented with the spiritual practice of writing on some stuff about our church and our journey and our approach to ministry. And those articles turned into chapters and those chapters turned into sections. And those sections turned into a manuscript and the manuscript ends up being published and it's going to be released on Amazon this Wednesday. And so today on kickoff Sunday, it's kind of the, the pre-release of this book called Finding Our Way, which I'm hoping doesn't just share the story of Southridge beyond our community, but actually helps us within our community really understand what God's been up to and how this church works and the way of life he's inviting us into like never before. As I think about what's behind the book, you know, it brings me back to that kind of moment during the pandemic when I was watching that episode of Superstore because what ultimately haunted me the most about that little incident between Glenn and Mateo wasn't just that Glenn didn't get it. 
And it wasn't just that Glenn was a Christian and probably should have got it because he should have been a person who lived beyond himself. What bothered me the most about it as I reflected on it was that the whole idea of Glenn as the Christian not getting it, that was the punchline. That the Christian not getting it was actually the joke. And that's what ravaged me the most, especially in the seat of leadership that I sit in. Because for almost a quarter century, I've got out of bed every day driven by that holy discontent. Because there was a point in my life, especially when I heard stories from people like my dad about Christian, you know, professing Christians throwing tomatoes at, you know, striking school teachers because they were protesting what the teachers were about. It, 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 it early on in my ministry life, it never made sense you know, how the, how the church and professing Christians kind of lived and worked. In a lot of ways, Christians were kind of a joke to me. But instead of giving up on Christianity and giving up on the church, I decided instead to try to give the best of the rest of my one and only life to changing that and to taking that gap most defined by Mahatma Gandhi that says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And trying to close that gap. This book is kind of the, the summary of that journey of trying to close that gap. This book is to try to help our church and to help other churches be less of a joke in the eyes of the watching world. And if there's anyone out there across any of our locations who's tired of Christians being a joke, if you're tired of Christians being referred to as a joke, being treated in the media or viewed as a joke and want to do something about it, then join in with us this ministry season and join into what we're about as Southridge Community Church as we seek to do nothing else than foster the Jesus way in increasing ways, to learn to be for the kind of people he was for so that a year from now and five years from now and 10 years from now, our lives will not only increasingly look more and more like Jesus, but we will be defined by the one thing that defined Jesus, the capacity to live beyond yourself. If that's a life that interests you, then join us this kickoff season and join us for these next four weeks as we discover what that means around here, to live beyond ourselves and to be for the people that Jesus was most for. Let's pray together. Oh God, we're excited about uh, the way that you're working among us, even as we're continuing to navigate through this very difficult pandemic season. We thank you that, you know, even though we're in this uh, kind of pandemic-restricted uh, place, that uh, your work doesn't stop. That, you know, even when churches have been underground churches have been persecuted, your work doesn't stop, that your timeless work and your, your risen power is still available to work in us today. God, I pray that you would just work among us in this season like never before. I pray that you would grip our hearts to be about the person and way of Jesus like never before. I pray that you would unify us as a community like never before around the person of Jesus and around his privilege relinquishing love. And I pray that in increasing ways we can learn what it means to use our power for the powerless and to be for the people that Jesus was most for. God, in these next weeks, make us that community like never before and help us to give you all the credit and glory as you do. We thank you and we love you and appreciate all the ways that you're working among us. We're thrilled to be part of this church family together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.